Well, good morning. And good morning to those that are joining us online as well. My name is Ben Marsh. I'm the student director here. And it is my privilege to share from God's word with you this morning. As we kick off into a brand new series, as we're headed away from uh, the empty tomb and continuing forward in our faith, what we recognize is this, that as believers, every single one of us that calls Jesus our Lord and Savior is that we have faith in him, but we come into contact with this world, with tests and trials and hard stuff. And those things can cause us to begin to doubt to doubt our faith, to doubt whether or not God really loves us, to doubt does he have good plans for us and a good future. It, it causes us to pause and to question the goodness of our God. So this series, we're going to be exploring a variety of different questions, and this week we're going to be exploring this idea of what do you do when you doubt your own faith, when you doubt God himself, when you doubt whether or not your faith is good or strong. And like I said, the reality is that if you're a believer, then you probably dealt with this. You probably dealt with some degree of doubt. And the reality is that that's okay. We're gonna, that's okay if you deal with doubt a little bit, because that just means you're human. And if you're not honest enough to say that you deal with doubt, then, then shame on you. <laughs> Recognize that you are sinful, you're fallen, and, and you do doubt. It doesn't mean that you don't believe, though, because doubt isn't unbelief. Doubt just means that you actually have this seed of faith, and maybe it's being shaken a little bit. Maybe the confidence that you once had is beginning to waver a little bit. The, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith would be disbelief, that you would actually turn away from your faith, that you would say you no longer believe in God. But we're talking about doubt when there's, there's something that happens in your life that makes you question whether or not your faith is real or if it's strong. When it's being tested, it's going through some sort of process. For me, I can think of a, a time in my life when I, I was certain, I was certain of myself that I was just like everybody else, no matter the fact that my mom told me that I was a little different. She, she meant it in a loving way, but she, she told me I was a little bit different and, and from a very young age. Uh, and, and I just didn't, I, to be honest, I didn't believe her. I just didn't believe what she was telling me because it wasn't my personal experience. But it wasn't until I was in fifth grade. And I'm sitting there in class, and we're going through uh, a season in uh, that school year where we're about to go have the science fair. And one of my classmates decided that for the science fair, they were going to take a test, uh, to have everybody in the class take a test. And so this morning, you're going to take that test with me. You didn't know you are taking a test this morning, did you? But it's, it's really easy. Uh, I actually, most of you are going to pass it, and then some of you are going to be just like me. But in the middle of this test, <laughs> I realized that my mom said I was a little bit different, and I was a little bit different. So go ahead, and you can call it out. This is participatory. Uh, when you see it, you just tell me what you see. Five. Five. I see. I see that one. I don't, I don't see that one. Um, and then I was told there's a really cool race car. Oh, it's a sail. Okay, I'm just kidding. But I know that I know there's a sailboat there, or at least I think there's a sailboat there. I don't know if those online, if you guys can see that as well. If not, you probably need to go get your eyes checked like me. Um, but I was told from a young age, I was told that when I was in kindergarten that I was colorblind. And the fact is, my personal experience, I, well, I didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't see a lot. But I, it wasn't until I was sitting in a classroom with other students next to me that were seeing things that I couldn't see. And then all of a sudden, my disbelief 
turned into a newfound confidence, one that I didn't want to have in the reality that I was and am colorblind. The reality is probably true for you too, not that you're colorblind, but rather that you have your own experiences in your life that either confirm or deny the things that you believe. And it's when you go through those experiences that your faith can be strengthened or it can be shaken. And you've walked through some things, I'm sure. Things that have shaken, or maybe you could think of the things that could shake your faith. You're sitting next to loved ones today, and and if you were to lose one of them tragically, or maybe for some of us, we have lost loved ones tragically. That certainly is a time where your faith gets shaken, and all of a sudden you begin to question. Maybe you begin to doubt. Well, how could there be a good God if something like that would happen? Maybe there's a relationship that fell apart. Maybe, maybe you have people in your own family who won't step foot in a building like this because something happened to them, something in their past, and, and they can't believe that there would be a good God. Their faith has been shaken and maybe it's even been broken. The reality is that there's lots of stuff in this broken and fallen world that happened to us daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Things happen to us. And when we go through those experiences, those tests and those trials, it makes us doubt. It can make us doubt. I believe that it leads to one thing right before doubt is is it leads to disappointment first. That disappointment with God may lead to doubt. When you have expectations in your life that it's supposed to be a certain way, relationships are supposed to be a certain way, your job's supposed to end up a certain way, you're supposed to live in a certain place, that things are going to all work out because we all just kind of project things that way. And then reality comes in. And then the distance between your reality and your expectations gets filled with disappointment, that it's not the way that you planned it to be. And as you begin to be disappointed and discouraged and disillusioned with your life, you might begin to doubt that there was a God that would allow those sorts of things to happen, those sorts of things to come into your life. That why can't he see the same things I see? Why can't God see that it's supposed to be like this, but rather my life is like that? And doubt creeps into your life. And the good news for us this morning is that there's scripture that we can fall back on, and we actually get to see glimpses and instances where there are believers who've already dealt with doubt, and we can see what they did in the situations when they themselves doubted God. One lesser-known story comes out of the book of Luke. In chapter 7, uh, 18 and 20, and we're going to be looking at John the Baptist. For those that aren't familiar, John the Baptist is someone, a prophet, who, who paved the way for Jesus. He was actually Jesus' cousin. He was kind of a crazy guy. He lived out in the desert. He wore camel hair clothing. He ate locust and honey. He was preaching and he was baptizing people. He was telling them to repent, to confess their sins, to turn away. He was preparing the way for Jesus. He had kind of an odd life like most prophets do, but he was doing it out of the conviction of his heart that he knew that he was called by God. He had an experience in his life knowing that he was a prophet of God who was preparing the way for the Messiah. He was confident in that, up until the fact that he was imprisoned. And sitting in a prison cell is where we see John. John's disciples told him about all these things. That is all the things that Jesus was doing. Jesus' ministry is moving forward and calling two of them. These are John's disciples. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? 
When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Are you the one that all scripture is pointing to? Or are we supposed to expect somebody else? Disappointed, discouraged, sitting in a prison cell, John the Baptist, who God clearly worked through and used in an extraordinary way, as he's sitting there, he's beginning to question and wonder, okay, this isn't what I thought it was going to look like. And as he sits there, he actually begins to doubt. Even though he's getting reports of what Jesus is doing, he, he begins to ask himself the question, is, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he the one that I was doing all that work for? Did I, did I screw up? Was it the wrong guy? Is somebody else coming along? Because this isn't maybe what I thought it was supposed to be. And he probably, during that time, is sitting there thinking back about his ministry, thinking back to the time that he actually saw Jesus coming towards him, and that he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, this is the one, this is the Messiah, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. That he's proclaiming, This is the Messiah, this is God. He ranks before me because he is better than me. He is beyond me. John could probably even call back that he was, grew up with Jesus, that he was not only, and he probably doesn't recall, but Scripture records that even in the womb, John recognized who Jesus was as he leapt for joy in his mother's womb. Everything up into John's life into this point is pointed to the fact that this is the Messiah, that this is Jesus. And not only that, does he have the privilege of baptizing him, but he has this experience too. And as he baptized him, John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, that it remained on Jesus. He had a front row seat, unlike any of us, to see Jesus' baptism, to prepare the way for him. And now, here he is, sitting in a prison cell, down on his luck, not knowing this, but he's going to actually lose his life before knowing that Jesus is going to die and be resurrected, he's sitting there and he's beginning to question his own experience. And so in that, we actually have a really unique opportunity to answer the question, how does Jesus handle those who doubt? How does Jesus handle those who doubt him? How does God handle it if we come to him and say, I'm not so sure about this. God, I thought you said it was supposed to be this way. Because in our own experience, and if, if we're going to project what we would do onto other people, if you were to doubt someone that you love, a family member, a parent, a spouse, if you were going to doubt even your own boss, if you were going to question them in some way, there's probably some sense of fear. How are they going to respond? Are they going to come down on me? Are they going to express anger? Are they going to be self-righteous that I, how dare I actually doubt them? And, and Jesus has every single reason to. He is God. He is who he said he is. And here we get to see how Jesus responds to John and John's disciples in particular as they approach him. And it says, At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. 
The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He gives them a front row seat to see his ministry. This is no longer second-hand reports or third-hand reports that are coming to John's disciples, but these messengers get to see Jesus' ministry. They get to see these miraculous things happen. They get to hear his words. They get to see Jesus' work so they can report back to John who was stuck in prison at that time. And Jesus' final words to them, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me that Jesus doesn't want his ministry, what he says or what he does to confuse anyone or to lead them down a different path. He does not want to be a stumbling block. Yet that's what he's referring to, that to some who are expecting something different, he is a stumbling block. But when we have the correct eyes to see by the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's not a stumbling block, that he's the cornerstone of our faith. This is an act of grace and mercy towards John. He's not coming down on him. He's trying to confirm and affirm his faith. He's trying to say that, in fact, yes, you are right. I am the Messiah. I am the Lamb of God. Look, these are the things that were promised, and I'm doing those very things. So that John, sitting in that prison cell, not expecting that that was going to be how he was going to spend the rest of his life in ministry there, that he would still be able to be faithful even unto death. And then Jesus turns to his disciples who might even question, well, what's going on with John here? And Jesus responds to them and he says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. There is no prophet that has ever lived that is greater than John. And even John, the greatest prophet, has the right to doubt me, has the ability to doubt me, has the potential, just like any of us, to doubt because he's in a situation, in a circumstance, he's been so far separated from Jesus that he's beginning to question. And yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That all of us that are believers in God, that we are great just like he is great. That he was great because he was called as a prophet and we are also great because we are his children. And that's an encouraging word for us because then we recognize this, that doubters like me and like you We are all welcome in God's family. That we don't have to have some sort of perfect rock star faith. That we don't have to have a faith that's beyond that of John the Baptist. We don't have to have a faith that's beyond that of the disciples that walk with Jesus. We just have to have a seed of faith in him. We still have to cling to him and trust to him because we know that God's going to be merciful towards us. In the book of Jude, verse 22, there's only one chapter of Jude, and it says, be merciful to those who doubt. That's an encouragement to all of us that as fellow Christians that we can look at one another and we don't look down on those who are walking in a season of doubt, but we get to be merciful towards them. And we get to be merciful towards them because God was first merciful to us. He was merciful to John and he was even merciful to his own family. We're going to zoom in on just one other story of doubt because I think this is even more extraordinary than the story of John. You see that Jesus' family his flesh and blood, his, his brothers and sisters, they doubted him. It's recorded in Scripture. There's one spot in particular in the book of Mark, chapter 3, verse 21. It says, when, Jesus, when his family heard about this, when they heard about Jesus' ministry, they went to take charge of him, to take control of the situation, to get him to stop his ministry, for they said he is out of his mind. Basically, his brothers are saying he's a lunatic. He doesn't know what he's doing. 
He's not the Messiah. They, they're going beyond just doubting him. They're just going into full-on disbelief that he doesn't know what he's doing. And Jesus, in his love, he, he shows up to the disciples after his resurrection. In love, we already talked about this last week, but he shows up to Thomas in particular a week later. And we see that he loved Thomas so much, even though he doubted that he was going to show up in a way that Thomas could believe in him. And then we also see recorded in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 7. This is referring to Jesus as he's showing himself after his resurrection. Then he was seen by James. James, not the disciple, but James, the brother of Jesus and later to all the apostles, that it specifically calls out that his brother, his brother who said that he's out of his mind, he's a lunatic, he doesn't know what he's doing. Jesus doesn't come down on him. Jesus doesn't go, see, told you so. I was the Messiah all along. He actually lovingly shows up. He's merciful towards him. And it's because of his mercy towards James that we have words like this and that we get a glimpse into what tests and trials should do in our lives. James actually wrote this. After having an experience with the resurrected Christ, after having the gift of the Holy Spirit so that he could have faith that his brother was in fact the Messiah, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you're walking through a test or a trial, it doesn't feel this way, but what James is telling us and God through his word is consider it pure joy because the test or the trial, the thing that is causing you to stumble right now, the thing that is shaking your faith is the very same thing that wants to strengthen your faith. God wants you to persevere. God wants you to be mature and complete. He doesn't want you to continue to eat baby food, but wants you to be spiritually mature and to walk in this life in all that it throws at you, in all the tests and trials in your life, that you need to face those doubts head on and walk hand in hand with God saying, God, I don't understand it. I thought it was supposed to be this way. It's this way, but I still trust you despite the fact I can't see. I'm going to trust you despite the fact that I don't understand completely. And I'm going to continue to grow in my faith, be mature in my faith, and not let these little doubts, because I believe that doubt is not dangerous, but unexpressed doubt is. You're not going to mature and be complete in your faith if you never address the doubts that you have in your life. But if you face them head on, God will work that in you so that you can persevere, that you might be mature and complete, that you might be able to, in the same way that your body, when it gets sick, is able to develop antibodies. If you don't actually address doubt, you're never going to have antibodies for your faith to protect and preserve your faith. And then something's going to come along. It's going to catch you off guard and it might throw you off. And you might move from a place of being disappointed or doubting and you could move towards disbelief. There's nothing wrong with doubting, but don't let it be unspoken. Don't let it be unexpressed. Because his desire for you is that you would be mature and complete, that you'd be able to stand up under that test so that he could work in your life and make your faith even stronger so that when you come into contact with others, Others that are walking through a similar trial, a similar test, a similar difficult season, that they've lost a loved one, that they've lost a family member, that they've, they've lost a child, that they've lost finances, that they're walking through something and they throw up their hands and go, I don't know why God would do this, that you would be able to stand next to them and encourage them and give them the answer to say, I don't understand it either and I walk through the same thing, but I still trust that God is good. 
You might not be familiar with Horatio Spafford. I think he's an amazing example of a mature and complete faith, a faith that was able to withstand a test and a trial that I personally haven't had to experience, and I pray I never do. You see, he was alive in the late 1800s, and he had uh, four children of his own, four daughters, and, and his wife. He sent them across the sea, across the Atlantic to Europe to go vacation there. They lived in Chicago at the time. And he was going to follow them shortly after. But as his wife and his daughters were traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, their boat ran into another boat. Their ship sank, and all four of his daughters died. And his wife somehow miraculously survived. When she finally made it over to Europe, she sent word to him to let him know that all of his children had perished. He gets on the next ship available to go across the sea. And as he is passing the point where all of his daughters died is when he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way and when sorrows, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou, hate, thou hast taught me to know that it is well it is well with my soul. Horatio's response in the face of tragedy was not that he was shaking his fist at God, was not that he no longer believed in God, walking through something that I pray none of us have had to do, to lose all of his children in one instant just like that, is that he still had confidence that God was good, that God still loved him, and that while that was inexplainable, that there was no way that he could understand why that would happen, or even the depth of his own grief in that tragedy, that he was still able to have confidence in his Savior and to still have a faith that would cling to his God and be able to say that it is well with my soul. I don't understand this, there is sorrow, there is no, there's not peace right now, but there's sorrow, and I still am able to say that it is well with my soul. And that is my hope, that I would be able to respond in such a way when my faith gets tested, when I come into contact with trials that I don't understand. And that might be someone here this morning. You might be walking in a season where something has shaken you. Something over the course of this last year has shaken a lot of us. And maybe made you question, is God good? Is he sovereign? Is he still in control? And so we have to ask this question, like, what should you do if you're doubting your own faith? If you're doubting the goodness of God? If you're doubting your ability to believe in a God like that? I think we have to look back at Scripture and we have to look at the example that John gave us. John the Baptist was first able to do this. He was able to admit his doubts to God. He had the opportunity to send disciples to go to God in flesh, to go to Jesus and to say to him essentially, I don't know if it's you. I don't get it. Expressing unabashedly that he is doubting that he's the Savior. Do you know that your God's big enough to take a question like that, to take a doubt like that? He's big enough for your doubts no matter what they are, no matter what it is that you're walking through, that you can toss that stuff at him, you can throw it at him. He can take it. And that's 
much better place for you to be expressing those doubts to a God who can take it than trying to figure it out by yourself. Maybe just try to figure out the answer. Just try to believe a little bit harder. Outside of him, you can do nothing, but you need to trust that the fact that he remains with you despite what you're facing. You also have this community of believers that's around you right now, in your own household and in this church, and that you need to share your doubts with your Christian friends. God tells us, be merciful to those who doubt that we don't need to pretend like any single one of us is a perfect Christian, that we have 100% faith all the time. And that actually by being a little bit more human, a little bit more real and saying, you know what? Yeah, I've had things in my life that have happened that made me wonder, is he good? Is he with me? Being able to express, that, express those things to one another, to sharpen one another's faith, that we can encourage one another, that we can pray with one another, that in those seasons of doubt, you don't need to hide and cower and shrink away from community and only come back to church and only come back to being a Christian when you know that you know that you know in God, that you believe in God, that you have a strong faith. Church is for those that need their faith strengthened because that certainly is every single one of us. And when you're walking through that season, maybe you have a question that is an, un an unanswerable question. Then what you need to do is you need to anchor yourself to what you do know is true about God. What you can be confident in. That you have a God that loved you enough that he didn't just say, your sins are forgiven. You had a God who loved you enough to show it to you so that you wouldn't have doubt. That he was willing to put on flesh, sinful flesh. That he was willing to go to the cross for you. That he was willing to stretch his hands out and be nailed there and die the death that you and I deserve so that we wouldn't have to have a doubt of his love towards us. That we would have confidence that God just doesn't say you're forgiven, but he shows you that you're forgiven by sending his son. Anchor yourself to those truths so that when you're walking through tragedy and difficulty, maybe a season of testing, that your faith doesn't get weakened, but it gets enhanced, that it can grow, that you and I can be mature in our faith. And we can rest assured in, that the, the, in this, that this is actually a promise from God. In the book of Jeremiah 29 Verse 13, it says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, with your whole heart, you will find me. You might be in a season where you don't see it. You might be just like me. I don't see the sailboat. And you might be in a spot right now where you're like, Ben, I don't see God. You don't know the stuff that I've been through. I just don't see it. Where is he? And that's where we go to each other and we go, Is it still there? Is he still there? leaning on other people, leaning on their sight, leaning on their faith, going to God who can certainly handle all of our doubts and trusting that this is part of his process of making us look more and more like his son, that we can have more and more confidence, a more and more mature faith so that we can be used by God in powerful ways because we know this to be true, that this world is going to doubt God. They're going to question him and they're not going to believe. But when we walk through seasons, when we walk through something like Horatio, when you're walking through your own tragedy and you can still have that faith and you can still cling to that, that that is a testimony of his goodness and his preservation of you to the entire world and to those that you come into contact with. My prayer is that we would be that sort of people, that we wouldn't shy away from doubts, that we would hand them over to God, that we'd be able to encourage one another, be able to express our own doubts, and that no matter what we face, 
that we would continue to gather in his house, that you would continue to open his word, and that you would anchor yourself, that you would seek after him on a daily basis. And that if your, da- if your doubts are going to still remain, that they can remain, but your faith will continually grow in that process. That we might be each useful in the hands of a God that takes those broken things and takes all those circumstances and he, can, and he promises that he will use them for good, even when we don't understand it. That's the God that we have. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to continue to dig into other areas of doubt. My hope and prayer for you, though, is that if it's you today, that you're doubting your own faith, that you wouldn't doubt your faith, that you would have confidence that even when your faith is shaken, even when you doubt your faith, that he's faithful, that he never turns it back on you, that he is with you, he will preserve you, he will strengthen you, and that you will see the other side of this. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we have these glimpses into people that were able to interact with you, God, and, and yet they still doubted. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you for who you are. God, and for anyone here who is questioning and doubting and worrying and stressing over whether or not their faith is strong enough or good enough, or they're walking through a season right now that's making them question you, God. I pray that rather than turn away from you and try to figure it out on their own, that they would come running back to your arms, God. That they would be embraced by you, that their faith would be encouraged and it would be enhanced, that it would grow, and that each of us would be able to be mature and complete in our faith that we wouldn't be pushed to and fro by all the problems and struggles of this world, but that we could be anchored to you, that you would be our confidence, that you would be our hope, and that our lives might be a living testimony of who you are in your goodness. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.